0: The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network.
2: Hello and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, A Conversation of Hope for Tuesday, May 26th. I'm Terry Arango with my returning guest, Lisa Lundy. This is part two of the interview that we started May 5th. Lisa Lundy is the author of the Super Allergy Girl Allergy and Celiac Cookbook from A Mother Who Knows. Her gluten-free, dairy-free, and allergen-free cookbook is designed to help people with a variety of health issues and is based on years of practical baking and culinary experience and the motivation to have fantastic foods for our own three food allergy children. Lisa has taught gluten-free, dairy-free, and allergen-free baking classes in the Western New York community and consulted with bakeries and restaurants in New York City, Western New York State, and New Jersey. She has been involved with Western New York celiac and autism communities for many years. Lisa's third child, Anne, was premature and had severe allergies. But instead of being destined to a life of profound disability, Lisa's daughter avoided a host of serious health issues due to the interventions Lisa and her husband have used. They've moved Anne forward from having no immune system and being severely malnourished due to a malabsorption problem to a child whose future looks bright. Lisa, thank you for coming back.
3: Thank you, Terry. I'm very excited to be here with you and all the listeners.
2: Well, at the Autism One Conference this past we we really emphasized how food is foundational, and um, why do you think that many people in the mainstream don't realize that?
3: Well, I think that, you know, one of, there's many reasons why people aren't fully recognizing the significance and the impact of food as it relates to their health and well-being, and one of those reasons is that people don't understand how their body works, Relative to, um, the, and the relationship food has. So if people looked at it from the standpoint, most people in this country, even if they don't have a car, understand how a car operates. You put bad gas in your car, you might have some sputs and spurts and a little trouble. Or if you don't replace your oil and add oil and change your oil, you will ultimately ruin your transmission. I mean, there are certain things and precepts about owning or operating a car that people just get, even if they don't have a car. When it comes to health and nutrition, most people in this country don't understand that amino acids are one of the building blocks of the body. Amino acids are derived from proteins. There are um, over about 22 different types of amino acids, and between 8 and 10 of them are amino acids that your body cannot manufacture. So even if you eat a lot of good foods, you know, you need to be eating foods that contain those amino acids. So I do talk about the role of nutrition in food allergies in particular in my cookbook, but one of the things I think that's that's happened in this country is we've lost some of the common sense, the kinds of things that your grandmother or your great-grandmother told you, and they did that. Not necessarily knowing about amino acids, but knowing there are certain things you need to do to be well and be healthy. So you know what you put in your body will, you know, in in many regards, is one of the important components about how well you are.
2: Yeah, you know, my husband always says food is medicine. Uh, he he talks to the school about the importance of um, our sons' diets and and what they bring for lunch, and how we want to know what our sons ate that day. Or didn't eat because he says food, their food is their medicine.
3: Well, absolutely. And one of the things, Terry, that I included in my book was a quote from Robert Cook's book. Now, Robert Cook uh, is the author of a book called Dr. Folkman's War, Angiogenesis and the Struggle to Defeat Cancer. Now, people may not know who Dr. Folkman is, but he is a surgeon at Harvard uh, Medical School. And he has been, Dr. Folkman has been at Harvard like for more years than I've been alive. So he's been at Harvard for a very long time, and he's recognized as uh, an innovator in the testing and, and really the whole field of cancer. And the quote that I included from Robert Cook's book is, reads like this. If amino acids, and what this passage was talking about, Terry, was how the body, how the human body operates. So there's certain things that scientists know about how the human body works. So this is a short quote, and it says, if amino acids are left out or the wrong ones are put in place, a protein such as an enzyme or growth factor is made incorrectly or not at all, and the result can be the disaster of a genetic disease or cancer. So all of the human body operates on amino acid strings. And if you don't have the proper amino acids, because you haven't eaten them and your body can't make them, then what uh, Dr. Folkman's book, or the Robert Cook's book, Dr. Folkman's worth pointing out is that there's a significant impact to the body because the body can't, you know create the proper amino acid change. And all of the bodies, the human bodies function when we breathe, when the body when the brain tells the body to produce, You know, a hormone, or produce your stomach acid, or stop producing stomach acid, or any function that the body, you know, the brain tells the body to do. All of these, all of the body's functions happen on amino acid chains.
2: You know, when 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 he's talking about uh, a genetic disease happening in in the face of a lack of certain amino acids, does he mean the expression of a genetic predisposition?
3: Well, I think, you know, this was a very, it was actually a very small piece in the Dr. Folkman's War book, but what they were basically addressing and and pointing to is that for the human body to operate properly, you need amino acids, and you need your body to have all the amino acids it needs because, as we've already talked about, there's certain ones the body can't make. If it required, you know, uh, you know, a particular amino acid and you didn't have it, then when the body goes to make that amino acid sequence, it just doesn't have it. It would be right. like not having bricks to put in your mortar when you're building a house. If you didn't have the brick, you would have, there would be a gaping hole. Right. So what is the impact? Well, not everybody gets cancer from it, but, but there's, you know, especially if it's a chronic and a long-term, you know, missing, that there's a, you know, a substantial impact on someone's health.
2: I like your your car analogy, and um, I you know, people view food as fuel, so they get the gasoline part. Right. But I like how you also brought in the transmission. Your transmission is going to go bonkers, and that's right. In the human body, we have neurotransmitters. Yes, and it's uh it's amazing to me that uh, mainstream doctors uh, issue the fact that that diet therapeutic diet. Uh, is necessary for children with autism and other related disorders. And they're probably saying that too at times while they're, uh, sitting around with their colleagues at dinner, you know, drinking coffee and, uh, you know, have, having a shot of vodka. And I know if I were to drink coffee, it would definitely, uh, um, go to my, go to my head and then I whiz around and clean my house. And if I had a shot of vodka, it would definitely go, you know, down the mouth to the gut and up to the head. So how can people possibly think that the foods that we ingest don't affect uh, our cognition, our, our behavior, and how our body functions.
3: Well, well, this is a, a wonderful topic, and it is something that, you know, when we look at the history, so medicine, whether you're talking about Eastern or Western or whatever kind of worldwide medicine, has a very, very long-standing history. One of the physicians who's considered to be the father of all medicine is a Greek physician by the name of Hippocrates, that many people have heard of the name Hippocrates. They may not realize he's the Greek physician who's considered to be the father of medicine. But back, So Hippocrates lived over 2,500 years ago, and he wrote, Terry, a lot about food. Like He actually wrote extraordinary things about food, given that the time period was 2,500 years ago. And one of the things Hippocrates wrote about was that food for some people, not for everyone, but for some people would actually injure them. That's not a sentence or, or a concept that most American physicians would agree with. However, they also aren't as famous and have stood the test of 2,500 years of time as Hippocrates' writings have stood the test of time. Well, what we know now, given that we have technology that was not available, is that Say gluten, for example, is the size of a molecule that can cross the blood-brain barrier, which is a barrier designed to keep things out of the brain. So gluten as a food and fuel for your body actually can enter the brain, which is a feat that 98% of the pharmaceutical drugs is something they, they cannot do. So when Hippocrates wrote that food would be injurious to some people, so you know, he also wrote about the health symptoms that food could cause in some people, not in everyone. And Hippocrates wrote about depression, which they called back then melancholy. He wrote about uh, like a bipolar or schizophrenia condition that they called mania. He wrote about hyperactivity that they called overactivity. You know he wrote about heart palpitations, pretty much every disease and condition we have today, That we treat with a pharmaceutical pill, Hippocrates wrote and attributed to food. And the interesting thing about, you know, so I've written a, a downloadable free paper that people can pick off of my website that talks about, you know, and quotes from Hippocrates' writings about food and the impact food has, and it also kind of traces it forward. This is a conversation that probably didn't even originate with Hippocrates, but I spent enough time at the medical library. I think for most of us mothers, something that's 2,500 years is, quite frankly, old enough.
2: Well, you know, and I think, too, if Hippocrates has been at this for 2,500 years, then us moms who've been at this for 20 years should take heart and not be discouraged and Right. it. Have the strength for another day.
3: Right, right. <laughs> but but in, the, in the present day, Harvard is actually, Harvard Medical Library, actually Harvard has several medical libraries, and they are, are uh, in the process, And they, although they may be complete, but a couple years ago they started archiving of U.S. physicians' medical writings on the subject of food and the impact food has on the body at the Harvard Medical Library. And the, re, and the doctor's name was Theron Randolph. And if you Google Theron Randolph, I mean, he's, his name will come up in every language. I mean, even if you can't read Chinese or Japanese, you would know that it's, you know, an Asian writing, or you might not know French or German, but you might recognize, oh, that looks like it's German. You know, this was a world phenomenon. And, you know, so throughout time, Hippocrates' teachings and writings have been embraced by physicians and have been carried forward.
2: We will be right back at the Voice America Health and Wellness channel. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzamedica. Opinions,
4: options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
5: Tom.
6: Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts. Live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival.
2: Lundy, and we will be talking soon about setting up an allergy-free kitchen, finding substitute ingredients, getting started, saving money, Uh, but we're going to just recap a little bit from May 5th and talk about uh, what happens when a person's on a a restricted diet and um, how uh, you have to be careful about nutritional deficiencies because you're on a restricted diet, which is necessary, which is therapeutic for you, which helps restore Lisa's daughter's immune system, so it's necessary, but you still need to achieve balanced nutrition. Lisa?
3: Okay, so this is really a critical piece for people who are on, you know, restricted diets you know, they could be on a restricted diet because, say, for example, my daughter cannot have milk, eggs, or tree nuts, or peanuts because it would cause a life-threatening reaction. She's anaphylactic or IgE, allergic to those foods. Well, someone who's on a diet that's lacking milk and milk products like cheese is typically going to have a reduction in their calcium intake. Even though we have products like calcium-fortified orange juice you know, there's there's a need to look at the nutritional makeup of anyone who's on a restricted diet for whatever reason, whether that's because of anaphylaxis or if they're on the gluten-free, casein-free diet for autism, ADD, ADHD, or health issues. You know, what, what consumers need to be doing is working with a qualified medical professional because there are testing procedures that can be done. It was actually the testing, blood testing that we had done on my daughter four years ago that we repeated a year later after giving my daughter a solid calendar year of mega supplements twice a day that showed us that my daughter had the inability to absorb vitamins and nutrients that we were giving her in supplements and that she was eating in her diet, a condition that they refer to as malabsorption. Malabsorption is something that's probably more common in the U.S., but since most uh, lay people and physicians aren't looking for that as an issue, you wouldn't know. And malabsorption is a condition where you're putting vitamins and nutrients in the body, whether it's by eating it in a food or through a supplement, and the body's—it's just kind of running out out of the body. The body's not absorbing it. So you know the the importance of nutrition for everyone is is very high. But it even takes it to a new level when you have people who have a restricted diet for any reason, that they need to be working with a medical professional to, to make sure that they're getting enough calcium, vitamins, minerals, essential fatty acids, you know, all of the components that the body needs to make um, amino acid chains and, and function.
2: Now, my friend uh, Lorette, a very, very uh, admirable woman, brilliant parent researcher, Who helped herself out of chronic fatigue syndrome and has helped her adopted daughter um, with her leukemia, autism, and Down syndrome um, found that the only way she could get intracellular magnesium levels raised was by making these, you know, green, slushy smoothies. Mm -hmm. And uh, that seems to be something that has really helped my son too, you know, Mm -hmm. uh, from Whole Foods from scratch, you know, Mm -hmm. like putting kale in a blender. uh, putting things in a juicer, putting things in a blender. So how did you restore your daughter Anne's absorption?
3: Well, and f- so first of all, I'm glad you brought up the green, we call them green smoothies, but green slushies because I actually do have recipes for that in my cookbook and I highly, highly recommend them. If you put enough fruit in with the greens, greens basically have very little taste. That's why people put dressings on their salads. Like most people don't eat a salad, you know, green salad, without a salad dressing, and green smoothies are an outstanding way for people to bolster their immune system and add nutrition. With my daughter, uh, her malabsorption problem was so serious that we ended up using uh, intravenous nutritional IV therapy, so if someone has a chronic malabsorption problem, which is what my daughter had, then it doesn't matter how much vitamins you pump in, and she was getting green smoothies and organic foods, so she was getting high quality and solid nutrition but her body had this absorption, this malabsorption problem. Uh We've done two and a half years of, actually going on three years, of uh, intravenous nutrition that she gets once a week in her arm. And even with that, Terry, she is not where a normal person would be. She's not where she should be, but we've had an improvement. And uh, my medical hypothesis, which I've since confirmed with with a medical doctor, is, you know, once you take a malabsorbed person and you get past the 50 or 60 percent threshold, then the body will kick in and start absorbing. So we know she's gonna get there. But for the worst cases, you have to bypass a malabsorption problem with either injections or IV therapy. Because entering, you know, having nutrition enter the bloodstream directly is the only way to bypass a serious absorption problem. And by the way, I do know Lorette personally, and she is like so amazing. She is. She's just an incredible, incredible human being. Yes,
2: she is. she is so amazing, and she's a perfect example of um, the intelligence of the pa- of parents in mm-hmm. the autism community. You know that the mainstream media likes to marginalize us so that they can uh, try to discredit our message, and they call us desperate parents. That's how <laughs> language can be used. But the parents in this community. Um, are so, have so highly educated themselves in all things science Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and become virtual doctors, nurses, lawyers, school administrators, Mm -hmm. nutritionists, and Mm -hmm. uh, occupational therapists, etc., etc.
3: Yeah, and Lorette has really, really saved her her daughter's life more than once over. I mean, it's really incredible (sighs) what she's been able to accomplish, and she's, you know, so scientific that you really, you know, it would be very difficult to distinguish her from a from a medical doctor because she's so schooled. Yeah. One right. of the things I want to touch on briefly before we get into the aller- setting up the allergy kitchen and saving money and how people can actually have this be workable is just briefly on the rotation diets, if I may. Sure. Okay. So if we looked at people living in the United States a hundred years ago, Terry. Everyone who lived in the U.S. 100 years ago, by virtue of living here, was basically on a rotation diet. Not the kind of rotation diet that I'm employing or necessarily that I talk about in my cookbook, but people were on a rotation diet because in 1909, we, you know, the Ford cars were just starting to roll off the production line. They had just come out a year earlier. We were still building roads and mass transportation. So we were not shipping by rail uh, fruits and vegetables from the south during the winter. In the winter in Buffalo, people were eating root plants. They were eating the high antioxidant, high colored, highly nutritious, you know, root vegetables like beets and et cetera. So over time, you know, we've, because we've had mass transportation and mass production of foods, you know, our diets have altered. Rotation diets back in the day were done simply by virtue of people didn't have, couldn't get strawberries up from Florida before they would spoil because the transportation was so slow, and people would eat certain foods for a period of, of three to six months and then not eat them for another three to six months, and that in and of itself is called a seasonal rotation diet. Mm-hmm. Using a rotation diet can help people avoid developing new food allergies or sensitivities. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the reasons that, I mean, we could overlay a couple of charts and graphs, which would be fascinating. One would be the increase of health issues as we've added chemicals to our food and we've decreased nutrition. But we could, you know, there's other things that have been at play at the same time. So they're happening concurrently and we can't really ever separate them and say, well, it was all because of this or it was all because of that because there's a multi-factors that are happening at the same time. But the other issue with rotation diets is, At the same time, grandmothers back in the early 1900s and even up through the 30s and 40s would make a different meat or a different meal every day and serve that and you'd have leftovers for lunch. That was a rotation diet because you weren't eating chicken every night.
2: Good point. Yeah. The wisdom of grandmothers.
3: Well, yeah, and if you go to an old-fashioned diner, a diner run by somebody probably in their 70s, the diners, some of the diners still do that. You know, they'll have fish every Friday, they'll have a pork roast on, you know, Sunday or Monday, they'll have it. they have a different varied menu where it's not the same food family every night. So how do these
2: allergies, new allergies evolve um, because
3: of not doing a rotation diet? Well, I'm not suggesting that, you know, it's simply a rotation diet. I mean, a rotation diet is a, that can help people who are who are prone or have a higher propensity from developing new ones. And it's certainly, if you talk to people who are deathly allergic or anaphylactically allergic to chicken or nuts or whatever foods, oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes, they will tell you it was their favorite food, they ate it every day. So, you know, not eating the, a, a food. In fact, if you looked at, What we do know scientifically about IgE, one of the biggest ways, or anaphylactic allergies, one of the biggest ways is to eat a food either or eat a food and eat it in high volume. So a rotation diet by by the nature helps people not eat the same food every day. But I'm not an advocate that needs to be in a rotation diet because that's simply not the case. But most people would get value if they didn't eat chicken every night. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um,
2: We are going to be talking about setting up your allergy-free kitchen now. Did you want to start with that?
3: Yes. I, I, I do get a lot of questions. People, you know, don't know where to start, and that's one of the biggest questions is it's kind of so confusing, and where do I start? And where people start is just they have to pick a place and start somewhere. So if they've picked removing gluten and dairy, that would be a place. If they've picked doing the Fine Gold Diet and removing colorings and additives, Wherever they choose to start is going to drive how they set up their kitchen, you know, and what, what they're going to, you know, what they're going to remove. So the first thing in setting up an allergy free kitchen and, and then going to find substitutes and getting started is deciding where you're going to start. Are you going to start by removing gluten and casein? Are you going to start by removing food additives and colorings? Are you going to jump in with both feet and, you know, remove gluten, casein and other food things I mean you know really depends on where people start so they have to decide just to start somewhere and over the last uh, decade plus I know people who've started in any different position you know they've started by doing just gluten or just casein or just the food colorings and they they move through it on their own journey as they're willing and ready because it's a it's a big it's a big leap so the first thing is just deciding where they're going to start and what they're committed to I certainly know that one of gluten and casein are two of the biggest offenders, and we've talked about gluten as a molecule being able to enter the brain, and that's why that's one of the offending foods.
2: All right, and when we come back, leaping into your allergy-free kitchen.
3: Yes.
4: Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health & Wellness.
1: Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health and Wellness.
4: Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness.
1: Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866 472 5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry.
2: We're back with Lisa Lundy, and we're going to be talking about leaping into your allergy free kitchen. And Lisa, I want to set up a kitchen that's gluten-free, casein-free, soy-free, nut-free, and organic. And uh, what's the first thing I'm going to do besides making sure my whole family's following the diet?
3: Well, one of the first things, if you want to make your life easier, uh, which is something that was you know, much more difficult to do a decade ago, is to get yourself a proven resource. And that could be a cookbook. I mean, I certainly have a cookbook, but I have a lot of free resources on my website to get people started and, you know, I'm constantly putting free recipes. But when I say a proven resource, if you're doing gluten-free and casein-free, there's a lot of gluten-free recipes out there. But, A, they're not all dairy-free. You cannot with gluten-free, especially if you're going to remove the soy and the tree nuts and, and even or peanuts. I mean, we also have to remove eggs. You can't necessarily just simply take a gluten-free recipe that has dairy in it, take out the dairy and expect a good result. Yeah. It just doesn't work that way. I wish it did. I, honest to God, you know, I wish it did, but it didn't. And the other thing is, you know, having spent so many years, over a decade in the kitchen with gluten-free, dairy-free, we do very little soy, although we can have a little soy. But soy I don't recommend because agriculturally it's a plant that they use to clean toxic soils and fields. So, Mm -hmm. I mean, who would want to eat it after knowing that? Mm something actually that Lorette Janik actually informed me of. So um, the first thing is to get yourself something that is qualified and is going to give you a good starting point. Because when you're a new baker and you have a recipe, if it doesn't turn out, you don't know, why did it not turn out? You know, my cookies are like pancakes. Well, that's something that I've devoted a whole section to in terms of, what are the tips people need to know? And people need to know they should have an oven thermometer in their oven because when you've removed both gluten and casein and other foods, your baked good becomes much, much, much more sensitive to a fluctuation in your oven temperature.
2: Lisa, are there oven thermometers that don't contain
3: mercury? Uh, well, yes. The oven thermometers that I'm talking about are the very inexpensive, like $5 or less, it's actually a needle gauge. So it reacts, I don't think there's mercury in there i I'll, I'll have to get my engineer husband to uh, take a look at ours. I mean this is like not the um yeah, I'm pretty sure I asked years ago at a cookware store for one that was
2: mercury free um yeah and and you know, forgive all my naive questions you know yeah. i kind, I kind of you know bake like ellie may clamp it, so oh.
3: well, I know that our oven was brand new when I started it over a decade ago and Most ovens, new or old, have a 25 to 50 degree fluctuation in oven temperature. Whoa. Yes. It's huge. And and this is the one thing that I hammer home to people and I teach people baking. And I can always tell when people are successful or not successful, you know, one of the things that makes people be successful right away is they get an oven thermometer. And then they find out, guess what? Their oven temperature is off 35 degrees or (laughs) 40 degrees. Whoa. Not something that you can distinguish because... You know, a 335 degree oven versus a 360, you know, that's not a huge difference that you're going to be able to necessarily notice. But, you know, it is one of the key things is to, like, figure out what do you need to know. So when I say get some proven resources, you know, get some things that are going to support you in having success right away because the biggest deterrent for some people sticking to or even trying for any length of time the gluten-free, casein-free diet is the number of failures that they have. Their food doesn't come out well. So get some proven recipes. And then I recommend that people start with the, kid, the foods that their kids love or their families are used to. So if they're used to having, um, uh, you know, a pasta dish, okay, that's fairly easy to convert because you can use a, a gluten-free pasta. You know, it's to make the conversions. What are your, What is your family currently eating? And then, you know, convert it to... A, Dish that's free of gluten and dairy because you know if they like pizza, well, you know I have pizza recipes. Now there are you know rice cheeses, uh, there are soy cheeses which you know we don't do much of, but you know there are non dairy cheeses and you can make great pizzas that don't have cheese. I mean that's a very common thing in uh, in Europe to have pizza with no cheese. Right. So you know is to make the conversions and. Uh, you know, and to find the resources and support because it's a very lonely thing for a mother, you know, who's just made a pan of rolls. And I have people who've emailed me pictures and, you know, on my website we really look to provide coaching for people so they are successful because I know, you know, I have two boys that would be ADD or ADHD if they weren't on a gluten-free, casein-free diet. People come to our house and they have all kinds of great foods, most of which, by the way, are freezer-friendly, something we'll get into in terms of saving time and saving money, and people cannot believe it. You don't have to have nothing to eat or bad foods, and we're gluten-free, casein-free, egg-free, peanut-free, tree-nut-free, and I'm also actually allergic to coconut, so there's no coconut used. And we still have you know, high-quality texture and taste in our baked goods. I mean, it's easy to do soups and main main dish meals without gluten because you just switch the flour if there's a thickener, but it's the baked goods that people really fall down on. And fortunately, the increase and explosion in the gluten-free diet, we have many, many more commercially made and healthy organic food options than we did 10 and 11 years ago.
2: All right, so what about things like, uh, and we need to get back to that freezing, but what about things like storage? Are you using plastic or are you using glass?
3: Well, I certainly am, uh, don't recommend, I mean, I recommend in my cookbook that people use, you know, don't use nonstick pans. They use glass, they use stainless steel, they use the cast iron. And for food storage, I certainly advocate glass storage at, at, at the very, you know, as, as the best alternative. People can't run out and I understand there's a lot of expense. People can put these, you know, items on their Christmas list or their Hanukkah list or their, you know, birthday or Mother's Day and accumulate them over time. If they can't afford glass containers right away for their food storage, at least to put the food in the refrigerator until it's cooled and chilled down and then transfer it to a plastic container until you have enough glass containers. So there's, like, ways to pinch hit. I mean, glass is always the best. What people don't understand about plastic is that, you know, with heat and cold, plastic will, you know, get into your food supply. I don't. I certainly don't recommend cooking by microwave. I mean, you know, if you're going to defrost something, put it in a bowl of cold water, put it in your refrigerator. You know, to avoid microwaving your food is, is the ultimate best. And I understand, you know, sometimes you need to use a microwave. But glass storage for food is best. And, you know, to eventually over time, you know, get your kitchen healthy. You know, something that's really become wide stream. people are seeing on Dateline in 2020 the Teflon pans, you know, doing great damage.
2: Right. Um, all right. So what do you buy for your kitchen when you're getting started? And by the way, the glass jars eventually will pay for themselves because you won't be
3: spending money on all the plastic products. Absolutely. They do pay for themselves. And I was just really thinking about, you know, we have many people now, more now so than ever, that are on a limited budget. And, it's, you know, if you looked at most people might have a lot of Teflon pans and they have plastic food stores. Like, where do they begin? Well, you know, they begin somewhere. And, you know, letting people know, I mean, they can go to garage sales. There's even, you know, things they can pick up for free on the uh, freecycle.com. There's lots of ways people can, you know, get proper food containers and, and bakeware and cookware you, without spending a lot of money. But, and speaking of money, there's a lot of ways people can save money on a gluten-free, casein-free diet. One of the things people talk about is, well, it's just too expensive. Well, it's a little more costly to buy the raw ingredients, but we do an awful lot of scratch baking because it's, it's ultimately by far, you know, many, many times cheaper than buying a prepackaged gluten-free, casein-free food good, or even from buying a mix. And one of the ways, you know, like people say, well, I don't have time. Well, I'm working and I understand the issues of time. But there are oftentimes you can take the time that you do spend in your kitchen and do double duty. You can have a dish on the stovetop you're cooking that you can freeze and one in the oven while you're making some baked goods. I mean, we do multiple things in the kitchen. So when I'm in the kitchen, I'm using every aspect of the stove and and accomplishing two and sometimes three things at a time. I mean, I don't have a double oven, so there's only two shelves. It's whatever I can fit in to fit in the shelves. But scratch baking, when people think about scratch baking, they think, oh, it's just too much time. Well, you know, it it depends on your attitude. If you have the money to buy prepackaged foods, that's great. But for people who are on limited budgets, you can take a recipe that you really like, mix make three batches of dry ingredients in three separate mixing bowls, and then put two in uh, containers that you so you actually have made your own little mix that you have on your shelf
0: mm.
3: so mm-hmm. you know as far as I, I do talk quite a bit about saving time and saving money because there are two of those two things are very important to me, which is why you know i don 't recommend people mix up three batches of a dry ingredient until it's a recipe they've used two or three times and they know their family likes it and their family will eat it. But we have, you know, dry mixes that we mix up ourselves, we, you know, give to other people and it's very convenient and, and it leads to, you know, saving time. And the other thing is, you know, back in the 50s when mothers started to go to work, people started using their freezers. It's a great, using a freezer is a great way to save time and money because you can have, you know foods that you've made that are free of the ingredients that you know I mean we buy uh, organic meat to save money from a farmer which saves me 50 to 60 or 75% you know to get a, a hormone free antibiotic free you know good piece of quality meat and you know that did require eventually us getting another freezer but it's a it's a payback in the investment and I know getting it from the farmer ourselves that it's a it's a good quality reputable actually really is hormone-free and antibiotic-free, but you're serving your family high-quality foods at a very low price.
2: Yeah, I think we've kind of deprioritized food in the uh, uh, more recent decades. uh, Certainly getting another freezer to serve your family high-quality meals would be more important than, say, maybe a stereo system.
3: Well, yes, absolutely, but I think it goes back to what we talked about earlier, Terry, which is... You know, people don't necessarily understand that you know if we compare the health of Americans today in two thousand and nine versus thirty or forty years ago, people would their eyes would pop out of their heads. They just don't you know, it's such a dramatic drop in health.
2: Mm-hmm. And we'll talk more about this when we return to the Voice America Health and Miners channel.
4: grunt yeah be
6: like oh uh, uh, uh." there you go you don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent when you adopt a child from foster care just being there makes all the difference to learn more call 1-888-200-4005 a public service announcement brought to you by adopt us kids the u.s department of health and human services and the ad council
4: opinions options answers you're listening to voice america health and wellness
1: Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program, here's Terry.
2: We're back with Lisa Lundy, and um, during the break I was telling Lisa that I was able to find those glass mason jars in the supermarket in Chicago because we bring Ian with, and we bring a griddle, and we bring a blender, and we cook up foods in the room. And um, we found those those glass jars, and it was great so that we could store things in them. And speaking of substitutes, we're going to talk now about substitute ingredients.
3: Yes, and Terry, it is such an exciting time for anyone who's newly starting or just coming on to the gluten-free, casein-free diet. There are so many more substitute ingredients than there were a decade ago, I think it's Absolutely stunning and amazing and what's predictable is we can see more. So when people are looking at, uh, removing dairy, if they can do nuts, there's quite a few, you know, almond milks and cashew milks and things like that, which we can't have. But there's a Vance's potato milk, which makes unbelievable ice cream. It's called Vance's Dairy Free. And, uh, you know, not, it's not the perfect thing because it, you know, has different ingredients, but it does work and rice milk. And so, you know, what we look at today, for people who aren't doing tree nuts, there's sun butters made out of sunflower seeds that are ground up and pea butters. There's all kinds of, you know, substitutes for peanut butter. There's, you know, there's substitutes for the cheeses, although it depends on whether you can do rice or soy. Uh, and you have to be careful because some of the non-dairy cheeses, although they say non-dairy, will have casein in them, so. Mm-hmm something to be careful about and really have to read the packaging.
2: Lisa, is there a crossover, a possible cl- crossover allergic reaction between peanuts and sunflower
3: not seeds? Uh, well, no. Sunflower seeds are in the seed family as opposed to peanuts are in the bean family. So the crossover would be more likely if someone was allergic to green beans or black-eyed peas or something in the legume family than the sunflowers were which are actually a seed. And just for
2: our listeners again, Lisa's book uh has, you know, pages of food family information. Uh it's a really comprehensive guide. Uh I was I was really impressed. So
3: Yeah, well I think the thing, the whole point of my book is is I know it's a struggle for people to get started. They don't know where to begin, what to start with, what you know, even like we're talking now about sub ingredients. I've listed, you know, some of them, although there's just so many more that are coming on. I mean, you can buy gluten-free, casein-free, nut-free chocolate chips, you know, from Enjoy Life Foods. There's so many more products now and, you know, that, that you can substitute to make, you know, products that, you know, foods that your family can have. It's way different than it was even five years ago. I mean, it's it's very exciting to me and the thing that people have to look for is Well, what are those? Which I tried to incorporate, and we, and when we find new products, I just blogged about a, a new cracker. It's not as good as Mary's Gone Cracker, but it's at least available at Sam's Club, which makes it, you know, much Mm. more affordable. It's not Mm -hmm. as great, it's not, you know, organic, but, you know, for the rest of us who don't need organic and yada yada, you know, I mean, you have to, like, take your money and use it judiciously. So the fact that we can now find a gluten-free, dairy-free, cracker with, you know, some whole foods to it is at at a major discount store is huge.
2: And I, I would uh just because something is an acceptable food substitute, I think we still need to be judicious about our use of it. Um my son is allergic to peanuts. We gave him almonds, um but I they he did develop an allergy to the almonds mm-hmm. after eating too many of the almonds. Mm-hmm. Um and uh I ate uh, like half a cup of gluten-free, casein-free chocolate chips. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you, I did feel a little bit, uh, you know, woozy after <laughs> half a cup of them. So well, that is a good amount of chocolate. Uh, yeah, they're delicious. Yeah, they are. They're delicious, but just because something is a substitute doesn't mean that we still don't need to be judicious about our usage of them.
3: Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, so I think the good news for people who uh, who have been on it or coming on board for gluten free, casein free, soy free, egg free, or whatever free is that that the the food manufacturers, the food industries, recognize. Boy, this is this is this area is hot. You know, it's growing at double digit growth has been for the last few years and is predict- predicted to grow even more. So what people can expect is, is even more choices and reduced pricing and, as costs go down, as more people enter the market. But yeah. I think so, the, the bottom line is there's a lot of substitutes available. You may not know about them, but you can find them online. You can find them in my book. You know, there are, there are people who are out here, like myself, trying to let you know when we come across new, good products that, you know, work. And bottom line, it's doable, and kids are recovering,
2: and the diet is foundational.
3: Absolutely. And I think the thing that helps people is, you know, if you, if you downloaded my history, the brief history of food allergies, people like it's not a paper people can argue with about what Hippocrates wrote and all the other physicians from here and there. There's logical, there's science, there's a lot of science behind why it would work to remove certain foods from the diet and why you would see it an improvement in either behavior or cognitive functioning or emotional well-being or physical health. But I think one of the things you had mentioned, Terry, that we want to talk about is, is food the only thing that we need to be careful about?
0: Mm-hmm.
3: And I would say, oh, no, 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 it's not the only thing. It's certainly critical and very, very important. But And in and, and a growing area of our society is beginning to recognize the environmental contamination in our air quality, in our home, in our food, on our lawns, and with vaccines. And these are all things that if people were willing to look at, you know, that a lot of the personal care products people have actually have material safety data sheets. It means they contain, they contain chemicals that are not good for you. Well, what about aspartame, you know? Well, I actually devoted quite a bit of, in my cookbook to, you know, the chemical sweeteners that we've gotten away from calling them chemicals even. Now they're, you know, we don't even call them artificial. We call them sugar substitutes. It's a, it's a warfare agent.
2: It was a, a chemical warfare agent aspartame. Yeah. It's, I mean, gonna, I think, I'm going mean, to have the ho- hotel, uh, like there's going to be no Diet Coke in the hotel next year.
3: Right, right. Oh, good for you. Well, I, I really think this whole, you know, artificial Theoretically, nurses. Is, that's my wish. Well, oh, okay. <laughs> okay well, I'm yeah, going we to go to work on really having that. App. Yeah. So, I mean, when people look at, you know, how can they improve their health? How can they improve their child's behavior? You know, there are things they can do in the home. You know, start removing the toxic chemicals and use vinegar and baking soda. Right. You know, the old fashioned cleaning products really did work well. They really do disinfect. And, you know, you can do without all of that stuff, which you're breathing in. And for many people who have asthma or other allergies, it's just not it's not a healthy thing.
2: I, I, look, Can I tell you a story?
3: Yeah. Yeah.
2: My, my husband's sister, you know, lo- loves to clean. Loves to clean. <laughs> you know, this is a, one of a person who, you know, you could go in the house at any time, you know, and eat off the toilet seat or something. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, and I worked with a lady who dusted her ceiling and everything. <laughs> but... She would love finding new cleaning products. Mm. Okay, so this, this happened years ago. She found a new cleaning product and went to town with it, and all of the hair fell off of the cat. <sighs> and I feel, I feel bad for that cat. That's a very sad story. But it just it shows you mm-hmm. that these things can affect physiology.
3: Yes. Well, and I think that what's happening, Terry, is, is that the bigger cleaning company, chemical manufacturers, like the maker of, you know, Clorox, uh, you know, disinfecting spray, is getting it. And they are advertising, they've come out with and are advertising products that are free of the toxic chemicals. And that's because consumers are getting wise. And demanding and on, and supporting the things that are, you know, not only green. I mean, it's great that they're green for the environment, but it's also great that they're good for your health. So people are standing up and listening. When you see it advertised in the Reader's Digest, boy, you know, you know, going green and cleaning green has gone mainstream. And it's not all simply because it's green and it's good for the environment. Well, um, are recognizing.
2: You know what? I think they, sorry for my skepticism, but I think that these companies, See that they're losing some market share. Oh, sure. And they they see an opportunity to get more. Absolutely. And also, I'd caution listeners to, you know, just listening to mainstream, quote unquote, medical information two years ago, um, I was concerned because there was, uh, my ex husband had used the, oh, oh, well, you're going to have to write to me if you want to hear the rest of this story. Uh, at tiaranga at autismone oneorg But let me give Lisa a chance to make any
3: closing remarks. <laughs> oh well, listen. I just want to say that you know this is a it's a doable diet. You can have great foods. It does take a little bit of patience, and it may take a little time to see results. But if you're uh, you know if you were going to lose 30 pounds, you wouldn't expect to lose 30 pounds in three weeks. I mean, to expect someone to have all the gluten and casein leave your child's body or leave your body is not going to happen overnight. So people need to have patience, get the resources, and know they can have absolutely stunning, great, delicious foods free of whatever allergens they have.
2: And kids are recovering. This is a marathon. It's not a sprint. Mm-hmm. Uh, also be careful of uh, the ingredients in your
3: kids' school supplies. Lisa, 20 seconds on that. Oh, my gosh. Uh... I don't even think I could do it in 20 seconds. But, yes, I mean, everything that your child comes in contact with needs to be scrutinized uh, for lots of different reasons.
2: Okay, well, Lisa's book, again, The Super Allergy Girl, Allergy and Celiac Cookbook from a mother who knows your contact information, Lisa?
3: Uh, They can go to www.thesuperallergycookbook.com. Okay. Or Or they can email me at Lisa at theroostercrows.com dot com.
2: Lisa at theroostercrows.com dot com. Lisa, thank you again for sharing all of this practical information. All that is absolutely foundational. Lisa's going to have her own show on Autism One Radio. Thank you to our sponsor Enzymatica and to our listeners. Thank you for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel.
3: Thank you, Terry.